Hello everyone and welcome back to Movie Dudes. I'm Alec. And I'm Phil. And today we are going to be talking about the uh, the 1997 uh, anime film Perfect Blue, which is also the debut film of uh, Satoshi Kon, who is a guy we talk about uh, quite a lot <laughs> on this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, finally we're... So we're finally here talking about his movie. Yeah, finally. <laughs> is there anything you wanted to mention before we get started? Uh, not really. Alrighty. So let's see. So what do you think? Uh, should we just get into like a, a summary? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Alrighty. So, um, Perfect Blue is about... Uh, a, uh, a J-pop idol named uh, Mima Kirigoe, who is a member of a group named Cham, uh, and she decides to leave uh, the group to become a, like a full-time actress on a drama series. Um, and the initial reaction from uh, from the fans of that pop group is a uh, not exactly ideal, especially from uh, a certain. Um, Almost Stalker, uh, who we learn later is named uh, Me Mania, uh, who is pretty upset uh, by this uh, change and uh, is also, uh, as we find out, the manager of a, uh, of a website or a, a blog uh, called uh, Mima's Room, which is full of, um, I guess, uh, what was it like? blog posts writing from the uh, perspective of Mima herself yeah. without it actually being her. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's like a false journal that pretends to be from Mima, but is just a, a crazy fan. Yeah. So we, we learn of this from some of her fan letters. Um, and mm. on the, on her first day on set on uh, a, a, te- a, like a detective drama kind of show that she's in called a double bind. Um, she receives a fan letter that it, uh, that her agent opens, which turns out to be um, I think it's like a little a little mail bomb, and uh, it explodes. Yeah. Uh, it explodes, kind of like um, not not seriously injuring him or injuring there her was agent, blood. but you know there was blood. He gets he gets pretty hurt by it, um, and so. Yeah. Off of this, Mima starts to visit, you know, the um, the Mima's room and sort of learns what it is. Um, but about a week after this, uh, she is informed uh, from um, her agent and her uh, manager, uh, Rumi, that uh, that her role in the detective show Double Bind has been uh, enhanced or like, you know, she's become like more of a, a mainstay character, but uh, her first, her kind of first scene back is a, uh, is a, is a, a very in-depth uh, rape scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, uh, obviously, you know, they're not all like, Oh, <laughs> her agent and her manager are kind of like, Oh, should we be going through with this? But Mima's like, oh no, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go through with it. They go film it, and uh, 
they're all kind of shaken up by it. Uh, and Mima, who's been kind of just kind of hiding the fact that she really doesn't like the idea, or really doesn't like the fact that she did that scene, uh, sort of begins hallucinating uh, an alternate self of her, of when she was still a part of the idol group, Cham. Um, so she begins to see herself in an idol uniform in these reflections in a, in a window or in a mirror um, that uh, claims, the, the hallucination claims that she's the uh, real Mima. And it kind of, uh, it kind of plays off of the, um, kind of like, it, it plays off of the whole, uh, I guess, distortions uh, and stalkings from Mimania's, uh, Mima's room. Um, so, basically, uh, I'm trying to think of exactly what happens after this. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, the writer of the, uh, rape mm-hmm. scene is murdered, uh, in a, in a car garage, uh, just kind of suddenly, and we don't really get a glimpse into who it is. Um, a couple mm-hmm. days after this, Mima does a photo shoot, uh, with a photographer who, uh, is known for, you know, getting models uh naked without them like without without that being in their contract basically um so that happens and she does a whole nude photo shoot uh and he is subsequently murdered uh by someone who appears to be Mima um and we sort of we this is where i i would say this is where the movie starts to split off into a lot of uh, ambiguity and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of scenes seem like they're going to be a part of Mima's daily life in the real world but end up being scenes from Double Bind. Um, then we get scenes that look like they'd be fake but then we see her wake up from it and think that it's a dream only for it to be absolutely not a dream at all. So... Um, you know, it starts to starts to kind of mix and muddy the waters a bit onto what's real or not. Um, she finds uh, she finds the the bloodied clothes from the murder of the uh, photographer and believes to think that you know she really did it, which starts to mirror um, her character in the show uh, Double Bind. That is also a uh, a. I believe she's just, I think, a regular person that uh, kills her model's sister and begins to take on the persona of uh, being that model. Um, mm-hmm. And so after after the filming of, uh, I guess, I think it was the filming, after the filming of the final scene for Double Bind, um, the rest of the... Uh, like staff leaves the studio, and uh, Mimania, the stalker, attempts to uh, attempts to kill and rape uh, Mima, but Mima basically kills him with uh, with a hammer, and uh, and he says before or he says uh, before he dies that he was sent uh, he was he's acting on like uh, instructions from uh, the real Mima, uh, who apparently emails him. Who asked him to eliminate the imposter? Um, 
but you know, obviously, <laughs> she stops him before he does that, uh, and so Mima's found uh, by Rumi, uh, her manager, and is taken back to uh, to uh, Rumi's place, which looks exactly like uh, Mima's room. Uh, and we find out that Rumi was the one who uh, was kind of the uh, puppet master for um, the stalker. And so the stalker, or, or and, so, and so Rumi attempts, or attempts to kill Mima, believing that, Rumi believing that she is the real Mima at this point. Um, she attempts to kill uh, the real Mima. Um and chases and, and basically Mima tries to escape, uh, and they go on a huge chase through the city, uh, and M- Mima ends up, you know, winning and kind of incapacitates uh, Rumi, uh, and they're both kind of you know discovered and uh, like you know given help. Mm-hmm. Um, and the final scene we get um it's kind of like it's kind of implied that it's quite a while later um and mima's you know a, now a pretty well-known actress who visits uh and visits a Rumi in um a mental facility um and the doctor in charge says that Rumi, uh you know believes that she's mima most of the time uh and mima says uh mima says well i'll probably never see room the real Rumi again uh, but I've learned a lot thanks to that experience. Um, and at the end, there's a really interesting line uh, that we'll we'll come back to because there's quite a lot to unpack with what it mm-hmm. could mean. Um, but I'll just state what it is right now. So um, Mima le- leaves as she's leaving. A couple nurses like talk like, "Oh, is that is that Mima Kirigoi? Like, oh, there's no way that she'd be here." Uh, that's probably just a look-alike. And Mima gets into her car, looks into the mirror, and says, no, I'm the real deal. Or, or like, no, I'm the real thing. Um, yeah. And that's the end of the movie. And it's mm-hmm. pretty short, all things considered. It's about an hour yeah. and 20. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely one of the shorter films we've talked about. But, um, I'm pretty sure it's the shortest film we've talked about. I think I think Run Lola Run was a little shorter. Oh a little yeah, bit. yeah, you're uh, right. But this, yeah, but this one um, is definitely on the shorter side. So I mean, it's mm-hmm. not too hard of a watch. I mean, I literally watched it right before we started recording. <laughs> right. Uh, which is why I was able to kind of summarize with not a lot of help from a guide like I usually have. Um, mm-hmm. But. Um, yeah, that's perfect blue, and I guess now we can get into any kind of uh, talking points or discussion that we had for it. Yeah. Uh, so do you want to start? Um, sure. I think one of the major things I wanted to talk about was kind of like um, I, you know, we've seen, or you and I both have seen most of uh, Satoshi Kon's stuff, from what I can tell. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. and he's and he seems to play with uh identity a lot. And mm-hmm. um while in movies like Millennium Actress it's played pretty positively. Um Perfect Blue is kind of this uh 
<laughs> is this really bleak like look into you know celebrity obsession and identity uh crisis like of of like knowing who the real you is when you put up a it's basically yeah. the the duality between a real person and the persona that they keep up for the world well, um and how so this person loses kind of what her whole i guess she kind of loses her grasp on that mm -hmm. uh well something that i find interesting with uh perfect blue and millennium actress is like they're in, in a way, they're pretty similar films. Like, they talk about show mm. business in Japan. Uh, and But th the difference is that, you know, they're kind of like two ends of a spectrum where Perfect Blue is a very dark film that talks about, like, you know, uh, an actress basically going through hell while the uh, while Mil Millennium Actress is a, a much more... Um, not necessarily happy, but less dark uh, story. It's much more, you know, it's a love story and it's uh, about yeah. a, a girl find, finding the, the love of her life. And uh, I, I think it's really interesting to see uh, sort of like the, the contrast between those two films, which at the same time are so similar yet so different. Yeah. Like, the way I like to think about it is, like, where Millennium Actress is, like, a beautiful uh, celebration of love, life, and movies, uh, Perfect Blue is almost a, almost a condemnation of, <laughs> of like, the whole, uh, I guess, like, the, the modern word for it would be stan community of, like, people who... Uh, like dedicate their entire uh, lives to kind of looking into these um, into these uh, idols, but it's also it's mm -hmm. also you know a, a story about uh, a du the duality of a of a person and uh, just kind of like <laughs> that whole. Th I remember okay, I remember the first time I saw this movie. I didn't yeah. really un I, I didn't really understand what was going on, mm -hmm. um, but this time I kind of uh, I, I worked it out a lot better in my head. Where like I was like, oh, I kind of get it now. <laughs> yeah, but the first time was just a was like nearly like I I remember leaving it like whoa, what even happened in that movie? Like what was real? Yeah. But I I kind of get it now. Yeah, Which I don't know if it was the same for mm -hmm. you. Um, well, now that I think about it, kinda, yeah, cause, uh, well, so Satoshi Kon, that's one of the main reasons why I, I like him so much, is he's the the kind of director that he likes to make stories that are very, uh, strange, and I'll say, um, unpredictable, and, um... Now that I think about it, there's a few things that I didn't quite understand... Uh, during my first watch, and that now that I've rewatched it a second time, I understand more. Uh, mm -hmm. I had one like two seconds ago and I forgot it, so I'll have to come back th to that later. But, uh, uh, yeah, and also the fact kind of like, uh, anytime we watch a film, uh, you know, I always write notes to so that I have some 
some more um it's, it's so it's easier to know what i have to talk about uh during the episode and just writing these notes is it, it makes it easier to notice certain things because uh, your brain is sort of like um forcing itself to be more an analyzing stuff and uh but yeah i will as i said i will come back to that later once i have uh the actual idea of what i noticed mm -hmm. um one of the things i i guess to get into uh some of my notes one of the things i noticed uh more around my first time watching it but i still would like to talk about it is uh the environment of uh mima's actual room like the her apartment mm. uh because the way that it is designed is like insane because <laughs> there's yeah. so much there's so much complexity even in even in the bathroom there's like you know clothes lines hanging up like there's all the stuff around the sink um, and in her in her bedroom especially, you can see all like the shelves are filled with stuff. There's like there's like a little PlayStation underneath the TV. There's a fish tank. There's all the all these clothes. It's like it's the most detail put into something that doesn't really, I guess, need the detail. But I think it is, is yeah. yeah absolutely better for it. And I also think it's interesting how, like, there's so much detail to show that she's a normal person, you know? Yeah. Like, there's so many people that, you know, are huge fans of her that put her, like, almost on a pedestal. But at the end of the day, you know, she has clothes hanging around her, her house. Uh, and she's, you know, it's a bit messy, just like any anyone's apartment. Uh, I, I, I think... I think it's a nice touch. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love the way it all looks and I love the the animation too. Like whenever we talk about these <laughs> about these anime films, there's always going to be some praise for the animation, but Perfect Blue especially, of all of the all of the movements are like insanely lifelike. Mm -hmm. Like there is not yeah, yeah. a lot of like there's not a lot of like cartoonish embellishment here like there usually is for um regular anime like there's not a whole lot of uh i guess exaggeration is the word i'm looking for like whenever anime whenever there's anime they kind of like even just animated shows in general they just like you know pump up the kind of expressiveness and everything like that no perfect blue is extremely lifelike uh down mm -hmm. to like certain movements i would say probably the only un unrealistic part of it uh, in terms of the animation, is uh, the movements of uh, the uh, Mima hallucination, um, but that makes right. sense because it's just you know, mm -hmm. just in her head basically. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think of what else I was gonna say. Oh yeah, there's kind of a neat thing I wrote down about uh, the character design that I noticed this time around was that uh, the not a lot of the people in Perfect Blue are meant to be, you know, attractive. Oh, like, yeah. Even, like, appealing to look at. Especially not, you know, me mania. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's, 
but like the um the only people who even look remotely i guess uh like attractive or ideal or even even pretty typical for anime like the only people who look like they would be in another anime are the people who have you know show show business jobs like yep. the actors actresses uh like reporters in the background of the tv they they're the yeah. only ones and everyone else just looks kind of either normal or purposefully kind of frightening like me mania <laughs> like yeah um like his his design is uh is perfect <laughs> yeah I, I remember the first time i, I watched perfect little i was like all right come on dude <laughs> like i know he's supposed to be the creep but give him a break for fuck's sake but yeah oh my god <laughs> uh-huh i still think one of the probably probably one of the best shots in the entire movie is um it it, it i also i kind of wrote i wrote this down too because it was something i noticed i was like oh my god that's insane mm-hmm. there is a bit of foreshadowing into the whole like theme of the movie near in the first scene where mima's performing her last show with a uh, cham and uh Mimania is working as a as a uh, security guard, um, and he's kind of crouched on the ground while she's performing, and he kind of has his like hand positioned in a way that just looks odd until we see it from his point of view, and we see that he's literally holding the image of uh, Mima that he has in his mind while she kind of yeah. dances and sings. It is so weird, and I don't know why it didn't. Yeah. Or I guess I know why it didn't strike me as much the first time I watched it because I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was coming. Right. But just, you know, seeing it a second time is so impactful. It's like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest. I'm very happy you uh, you mentioned that because I was going to mention it later. But uh, the, the first time I watched the film, I I already knew it was going to be about like. Uh, starker fans and that kind of stuff so when i saw that i was like all right that's genius and oh uh, yeah it's it's incredible (laughs) it's there's there's quite a few like sort of um striking shots are like very uh memorable i'd say oh for sure yeah like um the other one that i wrote down is uh uh when she when you know in I don't know. I don't even know how to describe the scene and like the people. And it's the it's the photographer murder scene, when you know, quote unquote, Mima is killing yeah. the uh, photographer. Uh, her, his projector in the background, uh, or his projector is projecting. Uh, I believe it's like it's he it's projecting uh, the show Double Bind, uh, and then a shot of her face mm. uh, in this kind of you know ideal lighting kind of way is like looking down in the same direction as Mima is furiously stabbing the photographer. And there's no wonder yeah. that this is used literally as the, in the DVD copy that I have, there's no wonder it's used as the actual like copy because it's one of the most perfect shots in the entire movie. Yeah. That and also another one that I have right in front of me is the sort of like the not the cover art but the like the background art that's on letterboxd uh which is yeah. of uh rumi at at the end while she's in like her uh 
her Mima form. I don't know if that's how you want to call it, but she's got blood all, all yeah, over her works. and she's like s- smiling as if she was like <laughs> someone was taking a picture of her. Uh, yeah, that one is that that might be. I don't know. It's not yeah. frightening, but it's like it's striking, it's, I guess I'll say. Yes, it's like one of the most striking shots of the entire movie. It's like, it's, oh, the, well, the, <laughs> that last part of the film, I, I'd say it's kind of like it's I say it's pretty disturbing would be another word. Oh, yeah, it's it's disturbing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, shot, the shots in this film are really cool. Um, oh, they're, yeah, they're amazing. Which it's it's funny, I guess, when we talk about animated movies to say <laughs> the shots are perfect. Uh, I w- would you still say shots for uh, that, or would you say something else? Because I've been I've been saying shots forever when it comes to animated I'm, well, movies. I'm pretty sure it's the same thing. Right, kinda. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even if it isn't like. Y- you get you get what we're saying, you know, like it's yeah. <laughs> uh, I wrote um, one of my notes. I wrote Satoshi Kon is good at making you feel uneasy, and the thing is that I have no context for this note. I have no idea what, at what scene <laughs> I wrote it, so I'm really curious. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I agree, but like, yeah, <laughs> I was about to say it's like it's not a yeah, it's not an invalid note to have, but ah, <laughs> uh, uh, there's a shot that that's another note that I wrote. There's a shot I don't remember when, uh, but they use basically it's a shot that's on her mirror, and the way that it's framed is so that we can basically see under her skirt and there's a lot of stuff oh, like yeah, that yeah, that, that basically um almost like it's almost as if uh, i i i don't want to say something stupid but like it's almost as if the film is kind of like dehumanizing her does that make sense yeah no i that makes sense yeah. and that was another thing that i forgot to touch on earlier when we were going through i guess the themes of the movie um uh, mm-hmm. another major theme of Perfect Blue is um, the like I guess I guess the word would be objectifying nature of um, I guess show business. Like mm-hmm. obviously, as an idol, she's already being kind of commodified as this image of like a perfect uh, of, of you know a perfect Mima. Like that's. In, in the fans' eyes, that's, you know, that's who she is. Um, but when she gets into show business, in order to further her her career and her image as an actress, she does all these these scenes that, that are, you know, can be seen as degrading if you don't, you know, want yeah. to do them, really. Like, it's, you know, it's a rape scene. There's the, you know, lewd pictures uh, that she's taking with yeah. the photographer. It's... it's all these things that sort of uh, eat away at her and uh, add to her instability uh, throughout the entire movie. So, you know, it's definitely, as much as it is a commentary on, you know, the human mind, I guess, it's also a major commentary on 
the industry of show business and what it can do to actors and actresses. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of to go on uh, another topic, there's something that I did, didn't think about before I rewatched the film, which is how, like, you know, it has a twist. And uh, that was my second time watching the film, so that was, like, you know... For uh, movies with twists, it's kind of like the second we watch rewatch is always noticing stuff uh, that like someone foreshadows the twist, and that you see in a different way after the twist. One of them is just how like uh, Rumi is. Uh, there's she's basically the only character that's really like against her uh, against Mima doing like uh, the the photo shoots and doing the rape scene. That kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and um, n- considering that she's like uh, she's got this personality disorder and that kind of stuff, it now it makes even more sense that she wouldn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, that she wouldn't want that. Well, because before it's it's kind of play- like before you know the truth, it's mm-hmm. it's played almost as if she's you know as if Rumi's this person who's always been there for Mima and it breaks her heart to see her, you know, made into this. But we all, like, and that could be part of the truth too, but we learned that that's not exactly what she feels. The reason that she's so upset is because she's another one of those persons that people that have that perfect image that they don't want to be ruined. Mm -hmm. Which is... Which is great that you mentioned that because I didn't even really think about that this time around. Like <laughs> thinking about that now, that that's crazy. <laughs> and oh, uh, I also saw another note that I wrote, which is how uh, when there's the uh, explosive letter, uh, the scene right after after that is at uh, Mima's apartment where uh, they're talking about it, and uh, Mima's basically saying like, "Oh, th- that's a." You know that's a a crime. We should call the police. And uh, Rumi is very like uh, almost as she didn't care that much. He's like, oh, it's just a prank. It's not worth calling the police. When like, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. Uh, no, it's definitely worth calling the police over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, that's something that I that I did not think at all was weird the first time I watched it. And the second time it's, that I saw it. the same it, here. So, <laughs> so weird. Like, what the fuck? Like, I, I guess I thought, I thought it was weird, but like, I, I guess right. I just kind of mentally skimmed over it. Like, oh, okay, whatever. But like now knowing yeah, what it we is know, a, it's like, yeah. oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is a pretty small detail. Uh, but I guess now now I'll get into kind of my final major note that I had, which concerns the the final yeah. line of the movie. Uh, you know, no, you know, oh, no, yeah, I'm sure. the real thing. Um, the thing with it is, uh, and I don't know if you noticed this. I, did you? I'm assuming you watched it uh, with the Japanese audio. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Because I did the same. I don't know if it's the same for the English dub. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know why they wouldn't change it, but it is pretty ambiguous. Um, but uh, the last line spoken by Mima uh, is not actually done by her voice actress. 
It's done by roomies. Fuck, I didn't know that. Yeah, Holy it is. shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Because uh, I remember the first time I watched the movie, I was like, that's not Mima, is it? Because I was like, that doesn't sound like her. So I kept like looking, and yeah, that's not her at all who says I... that. That's Rumi's voice actress, which adds so much more like ambiguity to the ending. Because like, I don't know. Because like, just on in, on this viewing, it was almost kind of like <laughs> it was almost, it was almost kind of frustrating. Because I was like, oh man, just when I thought I had a solid grasp on what happened in the story, <laughs> that's, that thing happens at the end. I'm like, oh. Yeah. It's, oh man, it's those kinds of, those kinds of details I fucking love. Oh yeah, it's, it's like the cherry right on top of this absolute, like absolutely disturbing messed or not messy in a way but you get what i mean yeah like just mm-hmm. kind of yeah this kind of scattered look into duality and i think it's a perfect thing to add mm-hmm. even though it makes no sense to me right now i think it's perfect <laughs> yeah well it's uh that's kind of like the, the the last shot of the shining uh, which is also That's like true. extremely confu- an extremely confusing way to end the film, and that's like, you know, even to this day, do do we know why it's this way? Maybe not, but maybe not there's yeah, yeah, there's there's there's, <laughs> there's nothing. That's yeah. true, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, in a way, in terms of like the, like in, in terms of like the the really cool tiny details uh hidden in the film like uh perfect blue is kind of similar to the shining in that way uh and i feel like mm-hmm. both satoshi khan and stanley kubrick are really good uh at that oh yeah mm-hmm. um but yeah that's pretty much all i had in terms of notes for perfect blue um, yeah. But was there anything? Um, is there anything yeah, else major there's you, or is there anything else at all that you wanted to mention? There's there's a few things. One of the things that I want to talk about is like that I think is very interesting about Satoshi Kon. So the only things from him that I've watched are Perfect Blue, Millennium Actress, Paprika, and as I mentioned in another episode, I read half of a manga that he wrote called Opus. Um. And so, I haven't watched I haven't watched Tokyo Godfather or Paranoia Agent, so I'm really curious about what those are about. But like, it's inter- it's interesting how Paprika is kind of like, in terms of story, it's very different from the other ones. Where, uh, Perfect Blue and Millionaire Actress are about uh, a Japanese actress, and Opus is about a uh, a Japanese manga artist. And um, it's, you know, they're really films and stories that talk about, like, creators and the way they relate to their creations. And uh, there's always this... uh, He likes to play with the line between the creator and the creation. uh, And that's 
obviously noticeable in Perfect Blue and Million Actress by the different scenes where, especially in Perfect Blue, there's a bunch of scenes that start where you think it's something that's happening in uh, Mima's life, but that you learn is actually just something they're filming for her TV show. Um, mm. And Opus is an even more obvious example of that, where basically the story is a manga artist who is uh, who goes into the 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 world of his manga where the the characters are basically like why the fuck why did you do this to us why did you if you were to create us why did you give us such a terrible life uh which is a really interesting thing that i like i've never seen before so that's one of the reasons why i say read opus it's pretty good yeah um, I, I intend to mm-hmm. I intend to pick it up around uh, Christmas time yeah. this year, as well as probably I don't know I'll probably I'll probably bite the bullet and just buy the rest of his movies. <laughs> yeah, I have I have <laughs> sure. Perfect Blue and the the others are not that expensive. Same with Paranoia Agent, so I might as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's. Especially, uh, also another example is I, I. I really have to rewatch it, but there's the last thirty or twenty or thirty minutes of million uh, million of actress, which are very like this drug trip. We have no idea what's clearly going on. Uh, yeah, it's something that's very. And what's interesting is that that's really. I uh, well, I guess it kind of is something there. There's something related to that in Paprika where, you know, the the creator is like the characters and the creation would be their dreams. I guess there's maybe some kind of... Uh, you, you could see it that way, I guess. Uh, then the, the might be stretching it, but... Yeah, I really, I'm really curious to watch Tokyo Godfathers and Paranoia Engines to see the way that he, uh, you know, if, if he treats that at all. Um... But besides that, I have a few other things that I want to talk about. I think. Well, sure thing. Let me let me read let me read my notes. Um, oh yeah, well, there's something that's um, what Mima's character in her TV show is going through is kind of similar to what Rumi is going through. Like especially the scene where they learn that she's got a. Uh, um, an identity disorder and uh, basically uh, like in the the show they say that the original personality is um, is gone and it's just like uh, made up personalities which is kind of similar to what Rumi is going through so I don't know if that's just like I, I guess it must have been planned that way oh uh, it's definitely intentional yeah because there's um there's a line that I picked up on this time around where um uh, Mima's character in the show says, uh, I don't remember what the last name was that she used, um, but she says that her name is Rumi. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's definitely intentional that that was a, a mirror yeah, to what yeah, yeah. Rumi is, to what Rumi's situation is. Because originally you're supposed to kind of think that that's uh, a mirror to what uh, Mima's going through because you think at this point like oh she right. must be she must be killing these people but no it's it's mm-hmm. Rumi 
Well, so that's some, that's some really good misdirection on Satoshi's see, part. An, another thing that I uh, so I remember when I first watched um, the the film that scene uh, with the TV show where they they showed the like uh, personality disorder thing. Um, it's another one of those scenes where you think that it's her. It kind of starts not exactly saying that it's a TV show. And so you kind of assume that it, well, I, I assumed that it was, uh, her actual life. And I thought it was a twist that was like, she had a personality <laughs> disorder. I was like, what kind of weird twist is that? And then we saw the cameras. And I was like, Oh, all right. Okay. If I'm being honest, that added more questions than answers for me. I was like, what is happening? At least the first time. Around. Yeah. But I was like, oh, what is right. happening? <laughs> um, um, yeah. But another thing uh, related to Rumi that I really like and that I noticed the first time, the the second time, is um, so the scene right before uh, they revealed the twist is the scene where they uh, they, they find Mima who had like passed out in the the studios, I think. Yeah. And uh, uh, Rumi finds her and uh, basically basically talks to um, her uh, her what her manager. Yeah. Or uh, yeah, th- that that guy. Uh, and basically, like, all right, I'm gonna bring her to. Uh, she she doesn't say I'm gonna bring her to her apartment. She says I'm gonna bring her to Mima's room. Yeah, which is really weird. <laughs> yeah, and I I knew like it was the second time watching it. I knew what was going to happen, and she said that. And I was like, excuse me, what? What did you just say? <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was another great line. Uh, and yeah, there's. I also really like. There's um, a part of the film where it's she's really becoming like she's constantly so confused and uh, exhausted by the the things that are happening in her life, and she's she's basically becoming blank, and she's like uh, in in the studios waiting for for her to, to film her scene, and she's basically like, "What if that truck hit me? Am I dead? That would explain it," and it's. <laughs> it's such a weird scene. I love it. I love the way it's executed. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, this movie yeah. is. I, yeah. I honestly can't think of like any kind of uh, hang up in the way that this is sequenced and uh, portrayed. Oh, yeah. Because it's all just so detailed and uh, sprawling. I, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, not a lot of directors can claim to have such a good first feature. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but honestly, that's pretty much all I had to say about uh, the film. I do want to talk before we go into like other unrelated topic. I kind of want to talk about, because I think it's interesting, the state of, you know, the way artists are treated and the way can uh, that kind of stuff works in Japan compared to, to here. Cause I, there was a time where I yeah. was really curious about that. And I read quite a few things and just in general, the, the, the way that artists or cele- celebrities are treated around the world. Like, 
I am so happy that I'm not like the that I'm probably never going to be Brad Pitt famous. Because holy shit, that <laughs> looks like hell. You know? Oh, the, for sure. Like, yeah, I, I. Oh. It's the way I the way I would ever want to do it. The way I want to would ever want to do it is like uh is how Adam Driver does it. Cause like, Adam Driver, (laughs) uh, he's famous, but like Mm -hmm. nobody knows anything about him. I think he has a kid, and yeah, everybody found out, and they're like, "Oh, when did you have the kid?" He's like, "Oh, three years ago." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, just like that's that's the way to do it. (laughs) Yeah, but I say like I'm not very familiar with them but the celebrities that i feel really bad for because their life i'm pretty sure their life are hell right now is the members of bts oh my god i can't imagine oh my god because like um i i really want don't want to make like too many claims about that because i'm not that familiar with the world of k-pop it's not the kind of it's oh, not. Yeah, neither am I. I don't listen to it, but I've heard. I've heard things. I'll say, how the the way that the K-pop artists are treated, and it's like, uh, basically they're almost being like abused by their, uh, uh, by, by their agency and their, you know the. They're their bosses basically, and it's like they they have to work so hard, constantly, uh, working on their voice and their um, their cook, uh, you know, their shows and everything. And there's a, probably way too many videos of like K-pop artists um, passing out during shows and that kind of stuff because it's just too much for them. And uh, yeah. then they've go, they go, they go through all that, and then if they do like the horrible mistake of having a private life and like a relationship with someone, they get so much hate from their fans and from the the media in general. Like more in uh more in Asia than in America, because in here it's you know normal. But there's a really really good anime that I watched that talked about that, which is. The name is going to sound stupid, but it's actually a really good anime that's called Bunny Girl Senpai, which I don't know if you, if I, I mentioned. I've actually seen most of it. Um, All right. I'm uh, I'm still a few episodes uh, before the end. It was kind of it's kind of been my thing. Like whenever I go back to my hometown for whatever reason, like if I'm there mm-hmm. for just kind of like a night, I'll watch like a couple episodes of Bunny Girl Senpai, and then if I get back to my apartment in the city i just won't watch it at all i don't know what it is hmm. like that's been my that's been my like on again off again show for like the last month or two huh even though it's only like 13 episodes <laughs> yeah it's really short it's 13 episodes in a film but yeah. oh there's a uh, film yeah there's a movie it's like the conclusion of the show it's pretty good oh shoot yeah, yeah i'll have to watch that too Mm-hmm. um but yeah, basically the the show is about like it's not it's about a bunch of stuff. But to make it very vague, just so you guys understand what I I want to say, it's about a a, a guy who becomes a, the boyfriend of a Japanese actress, and uh, basically when they announce like that that she's been having uh, that she's been in a 
a relationship with someone, she literally has to do a pu public apology. <laughs> and that's not like that's not exaggerated or anything. That's the way they say it in the show. She has to apologize for having a boyfriend, which is like it's it's, it's, it's yeah. I can't even. There's no words to say just how like toxic and weird that is. Oh, it's uh, awful. Yeah, it's like that's not that's not a life. That's just again like I'm so happy I'm not Brad Pitt famous. Oh yeah, I would I I wouldn't know how to handle yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like anytime there's um. Anytime there's a celebrity that um, goes into a, a relation with um, a relationship with uh, someone who's not famous, there's always like whenever they re reveal their uh, who they're dating, it, there's always like a thousand articles of like who is this person who's dating this celebrity, and it's like, dude, leave them alone. They <laughs> just <laughs> don't. Um, but there's another example of that. Anytime I think about it, I just think of how like incredibly stupid that is. Um, do I'm sure you uh, you do, but you know the show uh, Harry Suzumiya. Actually, I don't. It's uh, well, it's not the 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 full name. Was it? Hold on, what's the full name? It's like the. Uh, hold on, just a sec. It's the melancholy of Harry Suzumiya, which is I haven't watched it, so I can't really d describe the anime. But basically, it's about a uh, you know a cute anime high school girl who's also a god, but she doesn't know, and no one can tell her because if she does, she's gonna break everything. Basically, that's the story. <laughs> uh, and yeah, no, that's a really. That's really cool plot. So really, I'm gonna have to watch it at some point. And uh, it's it was when it came out, it was a massive anime, like especially in Japan. And um, the voice actress who voiced Harry Suzumiya, the main character, uh, you know, since the the show was this popular, she was like she got incredibly famous. She was like the the top, uh, the the number one voice actress at the time. And she's she's also a singer. She uh, I don't know if she's still in the band, but she was in the band at the time. And there's a story that came out that basically said that she had slept with one. I and I'm not I'm not sure if she slept with one or more members of her band. And oh. um, th her basically her career has been dead since. Oh, and it happened on. like years ago. She was number one. She went from number one to like, and might not be true, but from what I've heard, she still has trouble finding roles today. Oh come on! I guess I guess it really is like an image thing in Japan. Then yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, I think like mm -hmm. <laughs> well, like with 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 the with the stuff that like because that's not even bad. What what she did? No, yeah, but like with some with some of the stuff that like people say, like actors or like famous people say in America. Oh my god! Yeah, you'd yeah. be surprised. It's like, <laughs> it's, well, it's. Um, so I mean, there's 
there, there's two things I want to uh, I want to say about that, which is uh, that explain why uh, it affected her career so much. Which is first of all, I think in Japan, especially for young women, there's a very they got to keep this image of uh, being pure and uh, like there's this thing of they can't uh you know have like show that they have sex and that kind of stuff because that's not pure they have to stay pure and uh yeah another thing which is not just in japan but just anywhere in the world this weird thing where uh because i'm i'm, I'm sure that if she had been a guy it would would have been completely different because like I, I know at least in north america it would have been different like if it oh, was yeah, no one would have cared. <laughs> Let's say, uh, let me let me adapt this to uh, Hollywood celebrities. If it was Lady Gaga who had slept with a few members of her band, everyone would have come out saying, "What a fucking whore!" and that kind of stuff. If it was, I don't know, uh, if it was Harry Style uh, who had slept with girls from his, um, like he, he he was touring with, everyone would have been like, "Hey." He banged girls, yay! <laughs> Which is like, yeah, this... it's just, it's, it's so it's such a weird double standard. Yeah, it's especially awful that like it's especially awful that that like cost her, like being at the top. That's awful. Mm-hmm. Which is like you know she's a great voice actress, but like, yeah, well, I just just didn't have to. To, to, to have a sexual life. That's what happens to you. I it's guess. Fucking, fucking stupid. It is. It's so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> um, um. Yeah, but that's basically the last thing that I wanted to uh, to mention because I thought it was very relevant to Perfect Blue. Oh, it's, it is. And Perfect Blue honestly only gains more relevance as time goes by. Oh, absolutely. You know, the whole thing with um you know with people or with um you know the whole idea of real people versus versus the personas that they keep up i mean just look at social media there's a really good video out there um by a uh, super eyepatch wolf that talks about perfect mm. blue and why it's especially terrifying um but he also mentions the whole idea that like Perfect Blue has never been more relevant because technically everybody now has a following. No matter it's big or small, mm-hmm. a lot of people, the majority of the people, have a public persona that they keep up um, online. Yeah. And it's. <laughs> and I think it's especially interesting to look at, I guess, to look at it all through that lens. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, if, like, just think about us. Like, we're just two completely random guys that, are, like, are not different from any other person. But we've got this public image where we've got a very small following of only, like, 18 subscribers. But still, we've got this public image. And... Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it is interesting how, like, you know, if it was... Like, um, just like 25 years ago, there was no way that we could have had, like, a podcast. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> There's, like, there have been times. 
uh, like before recordings of our show that like I've changed shirts because like the shirt will say something about like I don't know like mm-hmm. my high school or something, and I'm just like I don't right. want that information out there. <laughs> so uh-huh. so yeah. I'm like I gotta I gotta stop that. <laughs> but it's interesting. It really is interesting. Yeah, I um, mean, <laughs> like just uh, I've had my YouTube channel for like two two and a half years, and everything that I've shown, like, the only thing that I've shown is one corner of my room. Like, I've not <laughs> even shown the, the entire room. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's... Uh, and I think... I also think, too, that it's very important to... Because uh, you, you, you've... That's for us, but we've got also other people who just do not care and will go on TikTok and, like basically show their address to their like and they're gonna have much bigger uh, followings than us they're gonna have like thousands of people watching them and they're almost gonna show their address they're gonna show everything yeah i oh oh god i couldn't imagine i'd have a i'd have a panic attack on the spot (laughs) if if i I knew yeah if i knew that i had a following of people that knew where i live i oh i'm so (laughs) i'm so against that (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's weird. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's such a. I don't know. It's whenever, whenever I see stories out there about like people being harassed, like f- famous people being harassed, and all that, like YouTubers, um, and even like voice actors, like we like we talked about being harassed. I'm always like, leave them alone. Yeah, like, got a life, man. Mm-hmm. It's so disgusting. Some of the stuff that goes on. There's uh. There's this group of uh, French YouTubers who uh, they're very popular YouTubers that have a range of uh, like 500,000 to 3 million subscribers, which is to give some context, like 3 million subscribers means you're in like the top 20 biggest YouTube channels in France. Uh, And uh, yeah, the number one has like 16 million. And Mm. um, they... A few months ago, they started like they 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 got basically a a place where they the you know to to where they each had their own studios and it's basically like they're yeah it's a, like a, a big studio for them and one of one of the guys said that pretty much every day like they've got someone ringing at their doorbell saying like hey can we get a can we get a picture with you guys and you know they had to make a video about that saying like guys you know we're we are just like random guys who do stupid stuff online but we are working that's how we uh we make a living and there's not only us working here there's also like people editors and um people who do like uh, in quotation marks, serious jobs who do not yeah. want to be bothered by random guys who just want a picture. Yeah, it's. I don't. I don't. I. I don't understand yeah. that culture at all. I really and don't. even like that's that's where they work. Imagine being like part of offline TV. Ugh, that yeah. it's where like. I would be so that would be so weird to. <laughs> I, I haven't heard of like people really f- finding out their address because I I think they do a pretty good job of uh of yeah. uh, hiding it. But well, with the amount of with the amount of stuff that happens to streamers anyway, it's it's just as mm. bad. 
Especially with um, with Pokimane and some of the yeah <laughs> awful stuff that um that people online like like bring out about her it's like just leave her alone <laughs> i don't oh well i so think weird yeah well i think streamers kind of have it worse because there's uh there was this, this trend uh and i hate to call it that but it kind of was a trend a few years ago where where if you didn't like a streamer you would find where they live and you would call the oh, police yeah. saying that you were you were um like a crazy person who was killing your entire family and that you were about to yeah. blow up the building and then the the guys would just be like playing PUBG uh just like doing nothing wrong whatsoever and they will just have like people being at their door police open up and they'd have like a huge SWAT team like uh pointing their guns at them um it almost actually killed a couple people like in the last couple years yeah it has it's because it's mm -hmm. like because like all the all the other stuff we've talked about is like just creepy some of it's harassment like a lot of it's harassment But mm-hmm. like most of it isn't illegal. Swatting is like a real crime. <laughs> there, that happened uh, quite another a lot comparison back in the to day. Uh, it still happens. Yeah, an, mm-hmm. another comparison to France is the, there was a massive wave. Uh, I want to say like in 2017, 18, where uh, a bunch of people, a bunch of streamers got swatted, and they, um, they, they. they And a lot like ended up tracking a few people who were like doing that, and they found that they were teenagers, like 15, 16 years old. And one of them, uh, who I think was uh, over 18, got sent to prison for like 10 years. And Good. I think, like, <laughs> yeah. And everyone, like, that, that's when it kind of stopped because everyone was like, "Oh shit, it's not <laughs> like they actually realized how." fucked up that was and they're like that's not just a, a stupid game like we're endangering people oh yeah so yeah, yeah. so it's yeah there's yeah so I remember i remember all that stuff back in the day yeah, yeah it was awful so basically shit's fucked up yeah <laughs> to summarize to summarize it uh But yeah, that's I think that's pretty much all I had to say. So uh, I think we can move on to uh, some other topics. Oh, uh, sure. So there's quite a few things to talk about this week. Um, mm-hmm. There's at least three films that we uh, have both watched uh, that recent, recently came out in theaters that we're definitely going to have uh, to talk about. Um. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, I uh, l- last week, last Saturday on the thirtieth, I kind of like, um, I I had a day out where I went to watch. It was the first time in my life that I ever went to the th- theater and watched uh more than one film, and I ended up watching mm. three. Ooh. Yeah, I watched uh Dune, The French Dispatch, and then I watched Last Night in Soho. Oh um, my goodness! Yeah, so I don't know if you've watched all of those films. I watched all of them actually in the past week. Yeah, <laughs> um, I all also right, watched. Right, so and, gonna... sen- and since since it'll be probably yeah, since we'll probably spend a lot of time on those, 
I will say that I saw um, The Eternals last night. Yeah. Um, which was actually a lot what? better than I thought it was going to be, even though it's not that really? great. Yeah, because, oh, I mean, going into it, a lot of people were like, oh, this is going to suck. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I left it. It's, de- it's decent. It's not great. Yeah. It's not even. It's not even good. It's just fine. <laughs> yeah, but I can't I mean, call it a bad. I can't call it a bad mm, movie. It really doesn't look good. Like for some, as someone who hasn't seen it, I. Oh yeah, it's, I I do not plan to watch it. It is a. I I will say it's solid, but it is not at all like what I'd call good. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so it's actually I don't know if you heard that, but it's actually the the MCU film with the lowest score on Rotten Tomato. Yeah, I did. So uh, it's not deserved. It's not deserved. All right, all right. That's basically what um, I wanted to know. Oh yeah, and I and I will say the main thing I appreciate about it is it's uh, cre- is steps in a in a new creative direction for I guess the Marvel formula, and I guess. You know, with all with all this negative press that's happening about it, they probably won't ever step in that kind of direction again, at least not anytime soon, which really uh, yeah. bums me out because that's the main thing I want right now for Marvel. <laughs> even mm-hmm. though even though Shang Chi was a really good movie that yeah, stayed yeah. pretty close to the whole Marvel formula, I like when they experiment, and I like the experimentation in Eternals, and it makes me sad that uh, yeah. that probably won't happen again anytime soon. <laughs> Um, but that's that's pretty much all I wanted to say about Eternals. So mm-hmm. let's get into let's yeah. get into the movies. Yeah. So I kind of want to start with Dune because I feel like that's the big okay. one. So yeah. I'm just gonna. Well, I think put, I, think, I yeah. think they're all equally big ones. If I'm being honest. Uh, I feel like more people talk about Dune than the other ones. Well, like I, I'm talking like in terms of um importance to uh to us. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, spe- especially mm-hmm. to me because I mean. I've been waiting for French Dispatch for like three years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's start let, with Dune. Yeah. What did you think of Dune? I liked it, but I think right. um, I think I could have done with I I think okay th- this is mm-hmm. probably my gonna be my opinion on on it until I see the next one. I think I need a full context right. of the story to kind of actually get into it because I, uh, I don't know, yeah, I, uh-huh. I couldn't really, I couldn't really, I guess, uh, sink myself into the whole narrative while I was watching it. Um, but right. I enjoyed all the, I, I enjoyed it visually. I thought it visually was very nice. Oh, of course. But the acting was great. I love me some Oscar Isaac always. Mm-hmm. Oh um, yeah. He was great in that one. He was, uh, but yeah, that's, I, I thought it was good. Um, but, uh, all right. But what'd you think? All right. I'm going to put it out there. Might be a controversial opinion, but I don't care. Uh, Dune best film of the year. That's all. That's all I have to say. I really liked it. I had such a good time with it. Um, and so, it's I, I don't know I was I, especially since like I'm, I'm happy about that because I was pretty scared uh, going in because I had heard a lot of people on Twitter saying like oh it's boring it's pretentious and that kind of stuff and I was scared that it was gonna be and uh, I kind of get especially for the it's uh, boring I get why you would think that but 
I personally was very entertained by it. Um, yeah. It wasn't... I'll, I will say from like a personal standpoint, it wasn't the most engaging movie I've ever seen. But I was, no, but... I was entertained. But I like... Yeah. I can see why someone would think that, especially since Dune, you know, is by all by all accounts, you know, a mainstream sci-fi film. Um, but I'm yeah. I think it's really I think it's really fun that even you know knowing that it would have that label, uh, the director and everyone else decided to you know make Dune its own thing and give it its own vision instead of trying to conform to anything, yeah. which is what I appreciate most about it. I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, so something that I think is kind of interesting is uh, I don't think this film was really well marketed, especially for the the the, the trailers, which really showed this film like as <laughs> kind of like as a sci-fi action film, which is not the case. It's not a sci-fi action <laughs> no, it's film. Not. It's a sci-fi <laughs> political film. Like the story of Dune is a planet that switches dictators. That's mm-hmm. basically the story. And it's a story about colonized, uh, like, uh, I don't think I have the right word. Is colonizing a word? Making a uh, colony it'd be, somewhere. It'd be uh, colonization. Colonization. Thank you. And um, yeah, no, it's not like uh, this big action thing. It's really very political. Uh, it's that's basically it's about the politics of, of space, which I personally find interesting. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think it, I think it can be really good if it's done well. Yeah, and especially for a director such as Denis Villeneuve, who is, uh, you know, he's someone who's been he's been making a lot of films, uh, really like in, in sci-fi since Arrival. Uh, but even if it's sci-fi, like I haven't watched Blade Runner, but Arrival is not an action film. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and Arrival I, I, I feel, was yeah. Arrival was one of my favorite movies of uh, was it 2016 that it came out? Yep, yep, 2016. It was like one of my favorite movies of the, of that year, and that's saying something because that was the same year yeah. that like La La Land came out and <laughs> yeah. Moonlight. That's oh, Arrival is really good. Um, oh yeah, it's probably I would probably say it's my favorite uh, Villeneuve film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Yeah, I I still haven't seen most of them. So, <laughs> well, I mean, Arrival literally is the only other film besides Dune that I've watched. I'm gonna have to watch. Uh, yeah, that's his other it's stuff. The same here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So if you if you want to watch Dune, do not expect like an, a big action film. There are some <laughs> action scenes, but they're not like they're, they're not big like Avengers action scene. Um, and well, yeah. So I, I personally had a really good time with Dune. Right. Yeah, I had a, I had a good time with it too. I just think I, I think I need, um, mm-hmm. I need some more context. Well, like I think yeah, once well, Dune, I think once Dune, I think once Dune Part Two comes out, and I like see him, not back to back, but like in a in mm-hmm. a pretty like close time frame. I think that's when I'll really well, the appreciate way- it. Mm-hmm. The way I see it is almost as if like you had just watched uh, Kill Bill one, and you're like, that's oh, I had true. I had a really yeah. good time, but like that's not the full story. I want I want the rest. Um, yeah. Hmm. 
but it is always watch the two of them combined (laughs) right but it is a shame that uh we had to wait well we i wasn't born but there was like two years but uh no not uh six months between kill bill one and two and uh now there's gonna be two years between uh dune one and two yeah which i thought it was very odd and i and i heard this from and like well obviously now it's pretty public knowledge but when i was watching the movie when i saw the movie with my friend he was like yeah um they haven't confirmed chapter two yet and i was like what and then literally like a couple days after we saw it is when they confirmed that. I'm like, oh, okay, there we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was confirmed like the day right before I saw it. And uh, yeah, uh, it's and I, I get why it took them a long time to like uh, green light it because it's Dune is kind of a gamble uh, when you think it about is, it. Yeah, it's like a, a very expensive film uh and it's very expensive but it's really not a film that is guaranteed to to bring audiences cuz like um to the general audience like not especially with the younger um younger like uh, generations not that many people will know dune i'd say um like especially since the book is like 50 years old and the David Lynch film is uh 35 and uh so i i was talking to some people who uh who i know that i've watched the film but that are not like movie buffs or into like sci-fi and i one of them literally was like oh it's from a book and they had no idea <laughs> even though, even though like dune is probably the biggest sci-fi book of all time yeah uh, it's like mm-hmm. okay, I, yeah. I'm trying to think of what like my oh yeah oh I was gonna say um, <laughs> a thing that my friends and I said is that it probably a lot of people got a uh, Zendaya baited and uh, oh yeah because <laughs> because Zendaya was in a lot of the ads but yeah. in terms of her screen time in this movie it's like ten minutes <laughs> yeah it's like most of her screen time is gonna be in the the second film in yeah in, in this film like she was basically just like in. Uh, like hallucinations from the main character and she the first time that we actually see her is in the last 15 minutes of the film and she's got like (laughs) she's got like four lines of dialogue (laughs) there's probably a lot of people who are like big zendaya fans that are pissed after seeing dune but but if you're a big timothy chalamet fan you're gonna be happy because there's a lot of him it's quite a bit of him, yeah. yeah. And can I can I just say like I actually had never watched a film with him until Dune. Uh, like I've never watched Lady Bird. I'm to think if it's the same for me. Hold yeah. On. Well, I, I've never watched Lady Bird or uh, Call Me by Your Name. Those films. Um, and so I really did not know what to expect from him. I, I kind of went in thinking like, well, if he's this popular, I'm guessing he's probably going to be uh, good. And honestly, I thought he was really good. I thought he did a yeah. really good job. I was, ple- was pleasantly in, um, surprised. He was in a uh, little women, the uh, Greta Gerwig, little women. Um, yeah. Which I thought was, I thought it was a pretty fun movie or it was, it was okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought he was good in that. So, that, right. I guess, would be the only other one I've seen other than, you know, 
another movie mm-hmm. we're going to talk about in a second. Uh-huh. Well, I can't really say, like, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm done with... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of done talking with Dune. I think I've said all I have to say, so should we move on to The French Dispatch? Sounds good to me. All right, so um, The French Dispatch, new film for uh, yeah, from Wes Anderson. Dispatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you were very... Uh, very hyped about this one so what did you think i uh i, I what, what else can i say i loved it <laughs> i i don't th- while i don't think yeah. it's uh anywhere near some of wes's best um i think it is where would you rank own, it I, I that is something i've thought about a lot recently uh and i guess i could I guess this would be a fun tangent to go on with yeah, you sure, a very sure. strange Wes Anderson ranking list. Uh-huh. Uh, which I've which I included um uh a couple of his shorts in there too. Mm-hmm. So let me see. Let me let me pull it up. Okay, so um let me think let me let me Yeah, this this rating's about right. Okay. So um at the yeah. bottom, number 12, we have uh, the short film version of Bottle Rocket. Um, Fair enough. Which, you know, I, I, I love the, I love it, but like, it's, it pretty much is just it's a his first. concept for, yeah. It's, yeah. it's just there for Bottle Rocket. It's fine. Yeah. It's, it's just nothing too crazy other than mm-hmm. that. Um, 11 is a uh, Hotel Chevalier. Which is the uh, prologue to the the Darjeeling Limited, uh, which I mm-hmm. like, and I think it's shot. I think it's shot really well. It just kind of it lacks the um, the same, uh, I guess, depth that a lot of the coming West projects have. So um, now to get into, I guess, the the you know, the the features. Yeah. So um, at the bottom, and it's probably going to be my most controversial pick. Um, I think my least favorite Wes Anderson movie would be Rushmore. Um, Ooh, and I say right. that only be, I say that only because I can pretty confidently say, um, other than the one that's coming up, I think it's like the only Wes film that I couldn't really get too emotionally invested in. I just... I think it's a great movie. I just there's not a whole lot about it that I can personally say like that makes me want to come back to right. it other than like the performances. I think it's good. Mm-hmm. I just don't yeah, it's not it's just not on the same level. Like I don't I don't think I I obviously don't hate any of the movies on this list. Yeah. Uh but like yeah. Um and the the one above it, which is another movie that uh I would I wouldn't say it hasn't aged well. I would more say that uh I don't like it as much as the first time I saw it, which is uh, Isle of Dogs, hmm. which ah. uh, is great. is great, and it's a great way for Wes to further his stop-motion style. Um, I just think that yeah. um, it just doesn't, it doesn't have much to go back to, kind of like Rushmore. Um, hmm. I think, I, I mean, obviously, stylistically, it's great, because it's, it's Wes Anderson. Um, <laughs> but other than that, there's not too much to write home about with Isle of Dogs cause it, at least in my recent watching of it maybe my opinion will come back for it um, but above that is uh, at number 8 is Moonrise Kingdom mm-hmm. um, 
which uh, I like Moonrise Kingdom. I don't like it nearly as much as some other people do. Um, that's about it. Uh, seven is the Darjeeling Limited, which was uh, right. which is what a lot of people think to be uh, is what I've learned. It was what a lot of people think to be Wes's worst movie, uh, which I don't yeah. agree with. <laughs> but I can see where it comes from. I just remember seeing it when I was younger. I was very blown away by it. Seeing it as you know older, I I kind of see what they mean. Uh, but I still enjoy it. Um, and number yeah. six is the French Dispatch. Um, and I okay. guess we'll get more into my thoughts. I guess we'll get more into my thoughts in a second. But I'll just I'll finish off the list. I guess mm-hmm. um, five is Bottle Rocket. Um, mm-hmm. I just I think it's so charming. <laughs> right. Um, number four is Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is probably. Like yeah. along with uh, along with Grand Budapest is probably Wes's most perfect film uh, in terms of everything going on in it. Uh, number three mm-hmm. is Life Aquatic. Um, I love it. <laughs> I think it's one of Wes's most uh, not like emotionally mature, but it's it's one of his most emotional movies in terms of like mm-hmm. the feeling I get from watching it. Um, number two is uh, Grand Budapest, probably objectively Wes's best movie. Um, yeah, it's, de- it's definitely it's his style, uh, but like blown up to the highest proportion we've ever seen it at. Um, mm-hmm. um, but number one, not surprisingly to I guess you or anybody else who's listened to this podcast, is the Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. Um, I yeah I love this movie to death and I don't think there's a single thing wrong with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, I guess to get into what I thought about French Dispatch, obviously I loved it. Um, I think it's mm-hmm. a pretty natural evolution from, um, from, uh, from, you know, Wes's style in Grand Budapest, the kind of very meticulous framing, not a whole lot of camera movement. Um, I think it's a pretty natural evolution of that. If I had to give it any criticisms, though, I would say uh, the fact that it is, you know, fragmented or the kind of like anthology type stories makes it kind of hard to be emotionally invested. But that's not even that big of a deal to me, at least in most of them, because I was able to be pretty entertained and pretty engaged in uh, all of the stories and, you know, action of the movie. I, I liked it. But I want to know what you think. I know mm-hmm. I want to know what you thought of French Dispatch at least because I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty biased. Right. Towards well, Wes. so <laughs> well. Uh, first of all, uh, before I get into my opinion, I kind of want to do a, a small abridged uh, ranking of my favorite Wes Anderson films. Oh as well. yeah, go go right ahead. Uh, well, so just I haven't w- watched uh, all of his films. I've only watched uh, the only ones that I haven't watched are uh, Bottle Rocket and Darjeeling Limited. So that's that's gonna be a mm-hmm. top eight. Uh, so okay. that would be uh, from worst to best, well, least favorite to favorite, I'd say. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom, uh, that's a controversial one, but Life Aquatic. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I'm hesitating between the two. Um, <laughs> Isle of Dogs, then French Dispatch. But honestly, like okay. you could ask, you could ask me in 30 minutes, it's gonna be the opposite. 
Then it's um, Rushmore, Fantastic Mr. Fox, The Royal Tenenbaums, and uh, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, that's a pretty so good one. So not, <laughs> not, not that different from, uh, for, from your list. Uh, but so, uh, I, I think it's interesting that one of the things you didn't like is the, the fact that it's like uh, three different stories. Because I think it's, uh, I, I, I think it's a really in- uh, interesting choice, and I like the fact that mm-hmm. it's not. Uh, a film that follows like one main character like uh, his other yeah. film or a certain group of characters like this is this film is really Wes Anderson creating a world oh uh, yeah I would say which I yeah um, I really like that I guess to clarify what I said because mm-hmm. I didn't didn't really mean yeah, it yeah. seem like I didn't like the fact that it was anthology um, I just okay. think I think that it being an anthology makes it a little less uh, able to, I, I guess, uh, uh, get too invested in a single character's yeah. uh, purpose or kind of, you know, just them as a whole. But, I mean, I don't really think it's that big of a deal because I still loved it. Yeah. Um, but it definitely mm-hmm. is, like, Wes's biggest world that he's created. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, go ahead. Well, I will say, uh, kind of the one thing that I didn't like is well, so kind of to give a, a short opinion from uh, for each story. The first one, which is a very short one with uh, Owen Wilson, I uh, that was that, that was, I thought that was pretty funny. That was that was a nice yeah. scene. Uh, <laughs> the one it's just it's just yeah, Wes it's, flexing how good he is visually. <laughs> basically yeah yeah that's basically what i thought about the whole Owen wilson thing i'm like jesus man we get it <laughs> uh yeah and i mean i i think it's funny how like owen wilson f- always feels like a character from a wes anderson film so he's always just so natural <laughs> <laughs> he's always just so natural in, in any of his films so that's always great to see him uh the first story with i love uh, that i love that description sorry (laughs) (laughs) thank you uh the the first story with uh tilda swinton benicio del toro and uh adrian brody i thought i thought was really nice uh but i don't really have that much else to say about it the second story with uh france mcdormand and timothy chalamet i thought was really good that was definitely the story that i was the most like um invested in uh, and that I, I know, I'm not exactly sure what it is about it um, but that was by far my favorite one out of the three and then the third story with um, with Edward Norton Willem Dafoe and uh, what uh, Jeffrey Wright uh, yes. that one I don't know what it is about it I could not get into it I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was a fun. <laughs> I thought it was a fun little one. In retrospect, I would probably say it's my least favorite out of the three. Yeah. But I least favorite, you know, not being too far from anything. Right. But I would say but, probably my mm-hmm. favorite, my personal favorite story, the one that I was really into, was uh, Benicio del Toro's. <laughs> right. It's really good. Um. But I don't know. The third story was kind of the moment where I was like, kind of waiting for the film to end. 
Uh, and that might have <laughs> been also because that, that might have also been because I was really excited to watch Last Night in Soho after that. But mm, yeah, I don't know. Which hang on before we get off of the uh, mm. the French Dispatch thing, I gotta go get something real yeah. quick. So I'll be back in like a second. Sure. All right. One second. Okay. okay. All right. Don't know what he's gonna get, but. So I don't know if they did this at the uh, at the theater that you were at, but um, at the theater I was at for the showing of French Dispatch, they gave away actual like printed magazine issues of the French Dispatch. They did not do that, <laughs> and now and now I kind of feel robbed. Yeah, it was like we were we were leaving the theater and we had seen like a couple of them on a desk, and I was like, "What is that?" So we just picked it up, and it was like. Like a whole yeah. like printed, it's like summaries of each of the stories, like interviews with Wes, some behind the scenes stuff where he got inspirations for certain things, and like a, a bunch of the alternate covers that were shown in the movie. Um, yeah, I think I heard that. Like, this is not the first time I've heard of, of that. But yeah, it was probably, it was one of my favorite things uh, <laughs> that, that happened when I saw it, because we just... We looked at it and we were like, whoa. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that, that sucks that they didn't do it at your showing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you watched like a, uh, like right when it came out, but uh, maybe uh, that was because I, I don't know. Oh, no, I, mean, I saw it. Um, I think I... I must have seen it opening night because um, mm-hmm. I saw it I saw it Thursday night uh, before the Friday that it was supposed to come out. So um, I guess I did see it opening night. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, also, uh, like, that's something I watched uh, all three of those films in the same theater. And uh, I will say... Um, the 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 theater the specific theater that I was in for the French Dispatch probably was the the worst one. Like it was much smaller than the other ones, and it I don't know it kind of felt cramped, and the screen was smaller too. Oh yeah, so, no, the theater I went to for for French Dispatch was so small. Yeah. Oh actually, okay, here's yeah. like here's a bit of a tangent for my uh, sure. viewing of French Dispatch. So, um. There is a theater near where I live that is a pretty big uh, Cinemark, which I don't know if they, I don't know if you guys have Cinemark in Canada. I, I'm, I assume you do. No, we don't. Do, or, okay. uh, well, not not <laughs> well, in Quebec like, at least. Well, it's it's probably I would probably say it's the biggest other than like AMC. It's probably like the biggest uh, yeah brand of theaters we got here. Um, yeah, I mean, but, I uh, I mean I know about it. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a Cinemark near us, uh, near me and my friends, that we always go to. It's like our mainstay. So the literally mm-hmm. two days before French Dispatch, I pre-ordered tickets on my phone mm-hmm. for that place because I, I saw that it was like selling quick and the theaters were really small. Like it was only like five rows. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh no, I got to get tickets. So I got the tickets and everything was great. So we're driving up. <laughs> we're driving up to that theater and we get in the parking lot and we notice we're like there 20 minutes before showtime 
there are three cars in the parking lot. Huh. So I go, oh, no, what happened? So I drive up hmm. to the only sign of life, which is a, is, is a couple making out on their car. <laughs> <laughs> so I, drive, I drive up, and I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to ask. So I get out of the car, and I go, hey, sure. what happened? And, and the guy, I just, I just imagine you like knocking at their at their window, and they're just rolling down their window. Hey, no, they were, what happened? No, they were they were outside of their car, oh, leaning up right. against it, making out. All right. So no, if they were in their car, I would have left them alone. But yeah, 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 of course. So I was like, so I was like, hey, what happened? And the guy leans over and goes, well, oh, power went out. And I was like, the power went out. Oh no. Oh. And, um, which it didn't make much sense to me at the time because like this cinema, this certain cinema is like covered in lights, uh, mm-hmm. and the lights were on, uh, but on the inside there was no light. So I'm assuming there must've been different power grids now that I think back on it. But just at the time I was like, well, come yeah. on, man. So I got back in the car and I hit the refund button and I was like, well, what do we do now? And my friend was sitting in the back seat and he goes, uh, there's a showing, a cr- there's a showing in a different town in 30 minutes. And I went, how far are we? He went, huh. 27 minutes. And I went, let's go. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I started my car and we just sped towards that theater. <laughs> uh, we got there right. just in time. Thankfully, there were a couple trailers before the show or before the movie. So uh, thank God we got there mm-hmm. in time. <laughs> but that was the yeah. most I've had to rush for a theater, I think, ever in my life. Uh, and the fact that it was for French Dispatch and not literally any other movie I've seen in the last month or two is really funny to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was my that was my fun little experience yeah. with French Dispatch. <laughs> that that actually uh, some something like that happened to my brother when he went to watch uh, Deadpool two, uh, and he watched basically the entire thing. Until the last ten minutes of the film, when their the power went out and uh, they oh. they couldn't watch the rest of the film. Thankfully, he got a refund, so that was nice. Oh yeah. Uh, and then the next day, uh, me and another one of my brother, we had already already planned to go watch it, and just came with us because he, you know, he wanted to see the rest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I thought that was funny. Um, but so should we move on to Last Night in Soho? Um. I guess for okay, I guess just to yeah. go on, go on this, like just one last one last story before we get to the last movie. <laughs> sure. Um, there was uh, there was one time it was when I saw uh, Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade. Um, oh yeah. And uh, I saw it with my dad. It was back in 2018. I was about um, probably 15. I was I was I had no money, and that's important for the rest of the story. Um, all right. All so, right. um, we get there, and for the first time in my life, the theater people go, um, "Oh yeah, um, machines down. You can only pay with uh with with cash." <laughs> and so, all right. Um, my dad or my dad was like, "Okay, well, here's a deal." Because uh, the movie was starting in like five minutes or so. He was like, how about you send mm-hmm. my son in as a collateral and I will come back and I'll get, go to an ATM and I'll pay for this. So um, she said, okay. Uh, and so she sent me in 
and I got like I think ten or fifteen minutes into the movie, and my dad comes back, and he's like, they tried to give me free seats, but I was like, no, I just he apparently had run around like the area that we were seeing it in to go to an ATM, uh, and that was probably, uh, mm-hmm. I guess to be uh, <laughs> to be a bit savvy for a second is one of the greatest things uh, that my dad has ever done for me to go see something, I guess. <laughs> So I'm very, yeah. I, I, I smile whenever I think about that, but I'm also like, I could have just saw it another day. We didn't have to go through all that mess, but <laughs> you know, we did. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. But it's, it's nice. It's a nice little story about theater mishaps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I'm very thankful to this day for, for my dad and in, in that moment and, and in all other moments, but Mm -hmm. Uh, and and that moment is great Um, but Mm -hmm. uh, I guess to get into our last movie or last current movie to discuss we have uh, Last Night in Soho Mm -hmm. um, which I think this might be the most interesting discussion out of any of them yes well, (laughs) alright so I've already mentioned that Edgar Wright is my favorite, probably my favorite director of all time uh, mm-hmm. So needless to say, I was very excited to watch this film. It's probably is the film that I was the most excited to watch uh, this year. And um, so I left the film. I'm just going to say that I left the film being very uh, ha- happy with it. Uh, I didn't like it as much as Dune, but I liked. I think I liked it more than The French Dispatch. Uh, and the more... I think about it. It's been almost a week since I saw it. The more I think, the more I like. I think about it, the less I like it. Mm, and the more, okay. the more I see things that I don't really like about it, uh, which, it which kind of annoys me because, like, obviously, I really want to like this film. But I mean, I'm curious to know what 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 did you think of it? Okay, so. Um... Hmm. I saw it a few days ago, um, and this was definitely, mm-hmm. like, I would say behind French Dispatch, this was my most hyped mo- movie of the month. Um, sure. And, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I really hate to say that I, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed by it. Um, yeah. Because I haven't seen the majority of Edgar Wright's stuff, granted, um, but I can just tell right. from this moment that it's, like, definitely his biggest... Like, or I guess is not a flop, but what would the what would the word be? I guess just kind of a disappointment. Misfire. I don't know. See, oh okay. yeah, I will say, that I I think the visuals are incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was definitely the most visually interesting movie I've seen, other than French Dispatch. I think it was. I lo- I loved how he played with reflections. Obviously, the music and editing yeah. was top notch as always. So, like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's Edgar Wright. Yeah, it's Edgar Wright, but like the visuals were especially amazing, and the performances from, uh, oh God, why can't I remember her name right now? I feel really bad. Uh, Tom- um, Thomason McKenzie. Yes, Thomason and uh, Anya mm-hmm. Taylor Joy uh, and uh, yeah. and Matt Smith too. They all mm-hmm. did really good. Um, yeah, and I really enjoyed them. Uh, but in saying all of those good things about it, 
the story was such a mess. Um, and I right. couldn't, uh, I couldn't really mm-hmm. tell what I was meant to care about or what like what what was the significance of some things. The dialogue was sometimes kind of off off putting or off kind of what I thought it would be said in that moment. Like there's, I guess I. I don't want to get into spoilers, but there's a certain there's a certain thing right. that happens, and uh, and someone says uh, someone very uh, it, it, it sounds I don't I can't remember exactly what it sounds like, but it sounds like a, it sounds like a a very like expository expository moment where someone dies and they go oh look at poor whatever his name is look at him he's on the ground he was <laughs> he was a police chief and now look at him. Um, oh yeah right yeah but i would say yeah the story and the dialogue were some excessively weak points that i wouldn't say they ruined my experience obviously i don't think anything could have ruined it um uh but i Mm -hmm. think i i will say it was it was it was very hard to i guess uh get too invested in it because i didn't really like what they were doing with the story. I think the story was good. I think it had a good concept and a good starting off point. Um, but it just felt extremely messy, like I said. Uh, but I would like to know, I would like to know what you liked and didn't like. Cause uh, you know, um, coming from, yeah. coming from me, it's, I'm, a, I'm an Edgar Wright novice. I've only ever seen a couple right. of his movies. So <laughs> right. I want to, I want to hear it coming from someone um, who has the same mm-hmm. amount of love for Edgar Wright as I do Wes Anderson. <laughs> Yeah, well, I will say uh, one of the reasons why I was so hyped is because, like, I've seen a lot of interviews uh, of Edgar Wright. And so, like, not only is he, in my opinion, an an amazing director, he's also a massive movie buff. And uh, Mm. he has shown many times uh, in his career uh, that he really likes horror movies and honestly, mm-hmm. to think that he's had a 20-year-long career and that this is his first actual horror film is crazy to me. Like, you yeah. would think that he <laughs> he would make something. Like, it's crazy to think that, but, but besides Last Night in Soho, the only thing that's almost a horror film that he's made is Shaun of the Dead. Um, But, so, all right. I will say I don't really see why uh how like the 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 story is messy personally i i mm. didn't have an issue with that um and so i i don't i don't know if i really had that much to say about it to be honest but like um i i don't know it really if it's his worst film but it's um I will say it's about about as high as the world's end, which uh, I think is his weakest film. Like besides Last Night in Soho, I think they're kind of equal in his uh, filmography. Um, I'm kind of interested. What's your um, yeah? What's what's your Edgar Wright ranked look like? Um, if you don't, uh, if you don't all mind. right. So <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, hold on a sec. Um. So at the well, at the complete bottom, there's I don't really know if I can really count it in in this list, but the it, 
the, the worst film that Edgar Wright has made that I've seen is this film called A Fistful of Fingers, which is a film that mm. he made he, that he made when he was 20 years old. Yeah, which, wasn't that his first feature? Uh, it was his first feature, which he made uh, with he, he made the film with a fifteen thousand dollar budget that came out of his pocket. Mm. So uh, self-produced film and everything, and uh, I appreciate the effort, uh, but it feels like a pretty uninspired western version like cowboy version of uh monty python and the holy grail basically like there's a lot of jokes that are almost like copied of uh not necessarily copied <laughs> but very highly inspired from uh uh from from this film um and then well there's uh two two things that he made in his career that are don't I don't know where to place them in in the list because they're kind of like miscellaneous things. Uh, first of all, there's uh, the Sparks Brothers, which is a uh, documentary that he made uh, that actually came out this year, uh, which is the second mm-hmm. film that I watched in theaters this year. And uh, it's like, how do you want to compare a documentary with uh, uh, with fiction films? It's, it, yeah, I, I I usually I usually uh, include documentaries. With uh, well, like, it's just, and I have to, I have to think about it. Is what I'm trying to say. I understand. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm just for this. I'm gonna put it on the on the side as well as uh, Spaced, which is a, a TV show that he made the first time he worked with Simon Pegg and uh, Nick Frost, uh, which is honestly like it. It still holds up. Uh, I think it's pretty good. Then, okay. if now for the 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 his movies um i'm not sure which one i like more but the at the bottom there's the world's end and last night in soho as i said previously okay um then honestly i'll say it's baby driver uh baby driver Shaun of the dead hot fuzz scott pilgrim versus the world that's basically my my ranking uh, and uh, I don't know what I was going to say after that. But uh, it is. We oh yeah. Uh, now remember. So as I said, uh, and you're right. Is a very big. Uh, is he's a very big fan of uh, horror films. And that was his first time actually making one. So I think what might have happened is that he was to, you know, when you're used uh, to to make like, uh, you know, comedy films that are just meant to be, yeah, not necessarily just meant, but mostly like very entertaining films, uh, especially in terms of, of like the, the the story. It kind of makes sense that he wouldn't do something because I saw some people complain about it that because that it was like too cute and not creepy enough, which is um, first of all, I, I don't think that. I don't think the the film really needed to be like uh, really scary. Uh, oh no, not at all. Like especially as someone who can get scared pretty easily, uh, I'm happy that the film is not like very scary. Yeah, I would. I honestly, if it, mm-hmm. if you didn't tell me that last night in Soho was, or like if I if I didn't know already that last night in Soho was you know meant to be a horror movie, I probably wouldn't have guessed it. 
by seeing it. Like there's some horror uh, elements laced throughout. Like the, the no, effect that he does on um the fact the effect that he does on some of the um mm-hmm. some of the uh hallucinations uh yeah. are pretty good. Like they're pretty they're pretty mm-hmm. a little creepy. But other than that, there's not too much going on in the horror department. I'm gonna have to disagree on that one. I really? if you if this <laughs> film was made by just a random guy and you, you'd shown it to me, I would have think like, yeah, that's a horror film. But I think uh, from what I've realized, I have a kind of a different um, definition of what a horror film is from other people. Because for me, a horror film doesn't necessarily have to be scary. Which, which some I know some like some people think like uh, what makes a a film a horror film is whether or not it's scary. So that's uh, that that would make for an an interesting debate. But I think that, for for example, if you think about uh, the Saw movies, like in my opinion, they're horror films, um, but they're not scary. You know. Um. And yeah, no, uh, it's yeah. I, I guess you could say. I mean, it's a psychological horror. That's what I called it. But you could also, if you don't want to call it a horror film, you could call, call it like a horror thriller. I guess, but um, I don't. Yeah, I just basically I don't think a film has to be scary to be called uh called a horror film. No, um, like I, I would say, hmm. like. Coming from the opposite side of the spectrum, I'm not very easily scared at all. So, mm. like, if I were to yeah. define, if I were to define like horror movies, uh, if I were to define horror movies by like what actually scares me, there'd be like maybe only a few movies. Uh, mm-hmm. But what what I define horror movies are uh, kind of based on like it's kind of a mix of like horror elements and horror subject matter. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I would say, if anything, Last Night in Soho almost comes off as kind of a drama thriller. Like, it's got some thriller in there, but it mainly mm. focuses, at least at least from my point of view, mainly focuses on the the conflict of, um, of, uh, what was it, what was, what was her name? Ellie? Eddie? What was it? Uh, Eloise. Yeah, Ellie. Eloise, yeah. It kind of it focuses on Eloise's mental instability and the visions she's been having about Anya Taylor Joy, you know, uh, Collins. Um, yeah. But like, it's like it. It focuses more on like, I guess the theme of the movie that I was kind of picking up on that I guess wasn't yeah that didn't end up being the theme of the movie at all was, or I guess not. It didn't. I guess it didn't feel like it was, um, I kind of thought it was about, you know, the kind of similar to perfect, not similar to perfect blue, but like kind of su- similar subject matter of kind of the, the crushing of, mm-hmm. uh, dreams, uh, under, under like, you know, yeah. an ideal under her, I like, you know, Anya Taylor Joy's want to be, you know, a, you know, want, want to be a singer. And she gets, she ends up being pimped out, pretty much. Um, but I thought it was mainly yeah. more a drama focused on that, with some you know, thriller horror elements kind of thrown in here or there. Um. So that's why I guess it felt kind of messy to me because it, 
I guess a way to say it is like it doesn't really feel like it was too confident in what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not in terms uh, of story, but just in terms of execution, I guess. Well, I'll be honest. Like that's coming from a big Edgar Wright fan. I don't think it was made with like a lot that much confidence. Okay. Uh, I don't think. Uh, honestly, I really, really want Edgar Wright to make another horror film. Oh yeah, I'd love uh, to see it. Cause like I think, I think what last time I saw was was like him trying to make a, a horror film. You know. Um, oh yeah, and if this the, is you, if that this was. Is... Mm-hmm. If this is his version of a jumping-off point for a horror movie, that's not a bad start. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, considering it's his first uh, first horror film, I'm pretty sure that there was a lot of uh, uh, I don't know how to say it, but like, you know, basically, I'm I am pretty sure that if he ends up making another horror film it's going to be much more well much more uh well executed uh and i'm really curious to see what it would what it would be like okay <laughs> yeah me too actually yeah um i'm what yeah i will be obviously i was already planning on keeping an eye on but i'm i'm definitely keeping an eye on uh, edgar right after this to see what mm-hmm. his follow-up will be yeah 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 um, mm-hmm. But that's all. That's pretty much all I had to say about last night in Soho. Yeah, the the only last thing I'll say that uh, I wanted to say earlier, but I forgot that I think is kind of funny is like it was my most uh, one of my most anticipated films of uh, this year, and mm-hmm. not only was it like not my favorite Edgar Wright film, but it wasn't my favorite Edgar Wright film that came out this year, <laughs> which I think is kind of funny. Uh, that is kind of funny, but yeah, Spark, Sparks Brothers is it was a really good film, honestly, and I think it's on Netflix in the U.S. Really? Oh, yeah, I think Edgar I tweeted about that, so uh, you should I check it out. To take a, I'll have to take a look then. Yeah, it's on my. I'm pretty sure it's on yeah. my watch list. Well, let me I'm sure it is. Add that if it's not. Yeah, I pre- I think I went through in the summer and I added all of Edgar Wright's stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, I will say like it just it's it's really weird uh, documentary just because of their story because what's really interesting about this band uh, Sparks is that when but that's how I felt when watching the um, the, the the documentary because I knew nothing about them and it feels like a band that doesn't actually exist because they they've done so much <laughs> stuff. It's so much crazy stuff, it's, and but no one knows about them. Yeah, it's for like some weird it's reason. like a Spinal Tap situation. Like you feel yeah. like yeah, this doesn't exist. Like, <laughs> yeah, and you, so, so you see everything is like, how the fuck have I never heard of them? <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that's that's a really good documentary. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to yeah, I'll have to check it out. It wasn't apparently it wasn't on my on my list, but I uh, I rectified uh, well, that. <laughs> yeah. Um so, so um, just before we uh we 
choose uh, next week's film and and the the yeah. episode i kind of want to just mention real quick uh so obviously last week was uh halloween and uh mm-hmm. every year during halloween instead of having a social life and going to parties with friends i like to just watch a bunch of horror films or like halloween films i'll say um, oh yeah 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 and so i ended up watching four uh this year and i kind of want to go over Films that I watched real quick. So the first, uh, first, I'm curious. Yeah. So the first one that I saw was the Invinc- uh the Invisible Man from 1933, because uh, the Criterion Channel recently, well, for the month of October, they added a bunch of uh, like classic Universal monster films, and um, I kind of decided to go with the one that was the the shortest because I didn't like uh, didn't have that that much time. Uh, so the Invisible Man is like an hour ten minutes, so it's really short. Yeah. Uh so I I did that one. Then I watched the uh, Phantom of the Paradise, which is a film by um, by uh, by Brian De, yeah Brian De Palma, and who mm, is okay. the guy who's made uh, uh, Scarface and that kind of stuff. Uh, but this is yeah. one of his like. F- uh, not one of his, one of his first films, but like it's a uh, one of his earliest films, uh, which I guess is kind of the same thing. But never mind. Uh, and basically, this film is a rock opera version of Phantom of the Opera, and it's it okay. in a lot of ways it reminds me a lot of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, um, that's fun. Yeah, I do prefer the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I will say something that I didn't like about it is like. You know, it's a musical, but the scene where there's uh, with with the songs are kind of useless. Uh. Like this film could really exist like without being a musical. Uh, you know, in most in in a typical good musical, the the songs will make the the story go further. While uh, on this film, I thought that the um, the songs kind of like paused the 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 story which i i thought was uh kind of a shame but you know it was a it was a pretty good film then i watched what was for a very long time like very high on my list of uh classic films that i've some somehow never seen i watched jaws oh um and that was really good honestly this is really good (laughs) <laughs> Honestly, uh, it's it's now become my favorite Steven Spielberg film. I would actually agree. Yeah. Um, and I yeah, actually, no, it was, mm-hmm. l- let me rectify that. I would say Jaws yeah. is my favorite if uh, Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark didn't exist. I love I yeah, love right. me some <laughs> yeah. I I love me some uh, original Indiana Jones trilogy, except for Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, All right. other than that, Jaws is probably the best yeah. one. And uh, it was just it, it, like it was so much fun. And uh, uh, watches well, what's his name the the character uh, the character played by uh, Richard uh, uh, Richard Dreyfus uh, Dreyfus uh, I don't know how you pronounce his name. Usually, uh, usually over usually over here it's Dreyfus, but Dreyfus. Oh, be all right, correct. I sh- I'm gonna use that so 
um, is like honestly one one of my favorite fiction characters I've seen in a long time. <laughs> like he was just he was so funny. Yeah. And like his reaction to certain stuff was like, <laughs> it, it, he felt like like if that guy, if Jaws was a film made right now, that guy would be like constantly referencing memes. Oh like my for god! Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's this scene where like there's a bunch of people overloading a boat trying to to go find the uh, find and kill the shark. Uh, and he's basically just like, guys, don't do this. You're going to kill yourself. And they don't care. They just go uh, with all the same to him. And he's like, bye. <laughs> They're going to die. Just kind of like to himself. <laughs> Which yeah. it's like one of one of his first lines in the film. And it went, when he said that, I was like, all right, I like you. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Jaws was really good. I had such a good time with it. And then I watched kind of... Um, not not a film that I planned to to watch, but just kind of like uh, an an impulse watch if you want. Uh, I watched Hellraiser. Oh, okay. Because there's uh, there's this YouTube channel that I that I like that's called Fact Fiend, which is this guy who makes like uh, videos telling fun facts about certain films or or pop culture things, and uh, he always tells facts that are very. Like facts you've probably never heard of, but I but that are very interesting and very weird. And he made a video that I watched about uh, Hellraiser, which is basically to summarize what he was talking about. The film was shot entirely in London with a British cast, and it was meant to be uh, direct video. But then the studio offered him to make a, the- a theatrical release if they would change the film from being set in England to being set in America. So they ended up doing like a bunch of stuff to uh, a, a bunch of a bunch of uh, shots to, <laughs> to to make it look like the film was set in uh, in America, and a lot of the actors had to be re uh, uh, redubbed with uh, an American accent, with which like uh, makes certain scenes and like one character specifically uh, sounds so weird. so that was pretty interesting but so it was fine it was okay it was kind of stupid to be honest which i expected but like one thing i will say is like uh the character of pinhead like incredibly iconic character in horror films had like 10 minutes of screen time and a very minor importance in the story like he's not actually the villain in the story Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's odd. It's really odd, and like the film isn't really a slasher, which is what I, I thought it was going to be. be. Well, oh, I kind of expected like it what was. I've heard about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say though, uh, for a pretty cheap film from 1987, uh, the special effects are really good, uh, and there's. It aged surprisingly well, and like the guy who directed the film, Clive Barker, is the guy who wrote the original story of Hellraiser, and he's he's like a comic book artist. He's not actually a director, but he was asked to direct the film, and which which could have created like 
that was one of the facts that he said in the video is right before they started shooting the film, he went to a library, looked if they had a book about directing films, uh, and they didn't. So he just left and tried to roll with it. This could have created a very like Tommy Wiseau situation. But oh the difference God. is that that guy was very humble about it. And the, he was with a group that had done a bunch of movies before. So they oh, helped okay. him a lot along the way to show him how to work. And so that's part of what made, made this film the success that it is. So that was pretty, well, I thought that was pretty interesting. That is interesting. Um, yeah. And yeah, just to finish my uh, marathon, I was then I was going to watch the thing, but by that time it, uh, it was like four thirty a.m. and I just wanted yeah. to go to sleep. So seen, that is. Have you yeah. seen the thing? Well, no, I I haven't. That's uh, oh. mainly why I wanted to uh, to watch it because like I've been really curious about watching. I've heard so so much stuff about it, and what's funny is literally. Uh, couple of years ago when I was like uh, 14 years old I wanted to do a marathon as well and um, I to show that this was a while ago I went to a, a video club to rent the, the movies and uh, I rented the thing uh, but what I hadn't noticed is that I accidentally rented uh, the 2011 remake Oh. Yeah, so I was like, I don't want to watch that, so I didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, mm -hmm. but, One uh, day. I guess, okay. Mm -hmm. One day. I had yeah. a couple. I had a couple things I wanted to mention before we uh, got into the the end. Uh, but uh, so, mm -hmm. um, as uh, as you may know, and as probably a lot of other people who watch yeah. our show know, uh, the Criterion sale started. Uh, the the Criterion mm, November right, half-off right. sale started. Um, and I got my first few pickups. Uh, probably yeah. probably my... Uh, this will probably be the majority of my pickups with Citizen Kane and Mulholland Drive being at the end of the month. I'll probably get those. Um, mm -hmm. But I got uh, Tampopo. Yes! I got... Oops, I banged my mic. Um... I got the uh, newly upgraded uh, Onibaba Blu-ray. Mm -hmm. I got, uh, let's see, uh, Yojimbo and Sanjiro. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I got to get that one. And um, <laughs> I, uh, I got Salo. <laughs> no fucking way you actually did. <laughs> Yeah, it's I. I'm holding it in my hands right now. I have, I have wow. the Criterion Blu-ray of Salo, and right, well, I don't know when I. I don't know when I'm going to watch it, as I have a lot of other Criterion films to pick yeah. up or to catch up on. But I will update <laughs> when I do. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, <laughs> that was my that was my pickup. Yeah, well, I well I also have something to say about the Criterion sale. Uh, mm. I took the very difficult decision to not buy anything from this sale because mm. I that's a, that the, I had to do a lot of thinking to come come to this point because I was really excited about the the sale so many things I wanted to buy but I ended up realizing that I don't have uh 
enough money to really have like something worth it and the shipping is too expensive uh you know it's too too much and uh oh yeah i get that and uh i'm instead going to spend my money on other stuff that i've been planning to buy like there's uh i don't know if i've ever said that on the podcast but i really like to play dungeons and dragons oh okay uh, yeah and uh i plan to buy like a not not a starter set but get kind of like a a pack with with like the three main books of dungeons and dragons to because i i've only been a player but i want to be like a uh, dungeon master which i don't know if you know anything about dungeons and dragons i do yeah i yeah um, well so i mm-hmm. played a good bit in um high school oh nice well yeah i was yeah, always so, a player though and i yeah yeah <laughs> well so the dungeon master is the one that like uh controls the the story and uh mm-hmm. that's that's kind of always been uh something that i've been uh curious to to do but I never really knew the rules and uh like uh and not knew uh know the the rules enough to be a, a DM but uh I'm gonna gonna try to learn and I'm gonna try to make my own campaigns and uh yeah that's gonna be fun. So I'm gonna do that instead of buying some criterions. Okay, okay. Yeah. But I also bought, uh, I did buy one film, not from the Criterion Collection, but just in general. I bought the Blu-ray for uh, David Lynch's Dune. Because <laughs> uh, was, it was very cheap on Amazon. It was like uh, $10. Uh, oh, nice. And I expected, uh, yeah, I thought it was going to be like 30 And uh, so I that's going to come in in a few days or weeks. And I'm going to watch it. Uh, and I'm going to try to compare it with uh, the the new Dune. That's awesome. I was actually going to watch. Uh, uh, yeah. I had a few hours to spare before I went to go see uh, Dune in the theater. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was going to watch it on HBO Max, uh, but I fell asleep on my couch and I did not end up watching it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, nice. that will also be something I'll watch sometime soon. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I guess, okay, there's one, there's one other fun little thing I want to mention. Uh, sure. So, uh, as you know, Phil, because uh, you follow me on Twitter, I had a uh, I had mm. an event on my Twitter account in the past month. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, so, okay, as most of our viewers probably already know, um, uh, the char- the character uh, Sora from Kingdom Hearts was added into Smash. Uh, and this is very, very off topic for a movie podcast, but it all makes yeah. sense in a second. So uh, I decided the day before that direct uh, that announced Sora, I was like, there's no way that Sora is going to be in Smash. So I am going to, to, like, to solidify my confidence by making a bet. So I tweeted... If Sora gets in tomorrow, if Sora is in Smash tomorrow, I I will dress up as Joaquin Phoenix Joker uh, for Halloween. Yeah. And lo and behold, 
the next day, Sora was in yeah. <laughs> So, um, needless to say, uh, on October 31st, it happened. Uh, and I dressed up as the Joker, went to a Halloween party, and got some fun videos. And I compiled them all on a video on my, uh, both on my Twitter account and, both, and on my uh, main channel. Uh, so if anybody out here wants to go watch it, it's my video just called I Lost a Bet. <laughs> and it's a two-minute compilation <laughs> kind of, uh, it, it's kind of like chronicling the whole, uh, the whole bet in the aftermath. <laughs> Actually, I actually didn't see it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was that was my fun little thing I did on Twitter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, now is the time to get into next week's movie. Yeah. All right. So, uh, let me just get the list ready. All right. And randomize. Oh shit! All right, so that's gonna that is a surprisingly like uh, coherent film to to talk about after uh, Perfect Blue. Next next week's film is gonna be another anime. It is Spirited Away. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh let's do yeah. it because yeah so hey, that's cool because i actually had uh, i totally actually had plans to watch the film in theaters but that that ended up like not happening so uh yeah sa- same here <laughs> yeah uh so i will watch uh spirit of Wait. unfortunately not in a theater but uh I- i'm still gonna wa- gonna watch it and it's gonna be the first time i'm gonna watch it in uh few years uh really well a few years uh i want to say three years right i guess that's a few um but yeah so i guess that's uh that's all for today's episode well all right uh thank you everybody for watching uh check us out on you know what we got in the description. We're also on Spotify if you want to give us a listen there. Um, and thank you for listening and or watching this episode of Movie Dudes. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.